I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. I am Dr. Aaron Eugene McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Je m'appelle Rick Safries, et c'est le podcast du Gynécologue Holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OPGYN Podcast. Enjoy. Jacob, good morning. Good morning. What are you drinking today? It's early for you in mountain time. You know, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, but this is just Folgers coffee. Just like the instant you put a scoop in there, shake it up a little and you got your coffee. (laughs) It's a thing, you know, you put it in and it brews, but it's, um, we just got cheap coffee in a, like in a pinch. And so I'm like, wow, it's actually pretty good. So we've been drinking Folgers coffee. Usually we get the like organic, like fancy coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, Good. I've been like in cafe Altura, they have a biodynamic medium roast and I, I, we were buying it so much that I asked them for a discount code <laughs> and they were like, we've haven't never done that before. And I was like, I'll, I'll send people to your website. Just give me a discount. So <laughs> cafe Altura is my favorite, but it's funny. We were just at the beach with my sister and her, and her husband, my brother-in-law. And when you travel, you don't really know what type of coffee you're going to get. Like it could just be like crappy I don't know. I hate, I hate to say it, but Starbucks has some of the worst coffee. It's like super acidic. It just leaves like a weird lining, like a film in your mouth. But they're equally conscious about like what's in their food. So it's like one of those rare occasions where you actually can go and you're not drinking Folgers. But when I've been to your house, you're, you guys are pretty dialed in in your health with the sauna and the cold plunge. And I know I'm going to be getting healthy food. We'll let the Folgers pass this morning. How about that? <laughs> Yeah, it was, it's a, it's a temporary thing and I'm not mad about it. So, yeah, I mean, and you get your, you get your go-go juice in the morning. So that's good. (laughs) Um, Jacob, I brought you on the show for a special episode as a part of a series for dads. I don't feel like there's too many great models for fathers out there or soon to be fathers. And I know that when I was in that space of like, oh my gosh, we're growing a baby. You guys had just gotten pregnant. Your wife, Amelia, lovely Amelia. Hi, Amelia. You guys had just gotten pregnant with Pepper. And then I think we found out maybe two months after that we were pregnant. So you and I have been kind of raising three-year-olds <laughs> as of right now, at the time of this recording, three-year-olds kind of in sync. Let me let me actually pause there and take a step backwards. For for those who don't know you, why don't you just give them the like elevator speech of who you are? Because you have a hell of a story that we're going to get into. Nonetheless, your experience with, with parenting and fatherhood. Uh, you were one of my models uh, because you and I are sort of cut from the same cloth in, in a variety of ways. So give everybody sort of the overview of Jacob Egbert and uh, <laughs> the shortened rendition of your incredible story. The shortest version of my like ADD life. So grew up Mormon in Idaho and did the traditional trajectory. I turned 19 years old, went on a Mormon mission, came home met a girl and immediately got married. Like within weeks we were engaged and it was just this flow of cultural momentum. Mm -hmm. We had first child within seven months or so because he was six, he was three months early. So he's a preemie two pound baby. So we had a baby within a year of meeting. How old were you when you met your, your first wife? 21. So we, we got married. Um, Ethan, our first was born when I was 22. So it's, it's young, but it's not like obscene. 
And then from there, I went through college, started my trajectory toward medical school. We had our second child. Literally, she was born in the hospital and we went straight to the moving van. She never went to our home. Wow. And we were traveling to medical school. So hospital, hotel, moving truck, medical school. So we moved to Missouri. So I went to medical school in Kansas City. And there we had our third child before medical school was finished. And then residency in, in Columbia, Missouri, where I did physical medicine and rehabilitation. Next, we got our first job in Utah. So we came back to Utah, this area, Rocky Mountains. Had our fifth child, who was born just after finishing residency, so 2011. So that's five kids, and I've just started my first real job. And during this time, I was... Here, here's the thing with med school, real quick. Every few months, you switch something else. It's like new, 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 new experiences. And I had thrived on new experiences. And as soon as I hit my first job, I had this essentially like an existential crisis of, oh, this is how it's going to be forever. And that's how it occurred to me. And that combined with a number of other factors led to breakup of the marriage and an exit from religion. Hmm. So I have five kids. I'm now separated. I quit my first job. I started traveling and essentially was the divorced dad of five kids that had to move away and was trying to find my way. So a few years of transition to that, I went through a number of changes in my own personal life, but also interests and eventually remarried. I met Amelia, who is a wonderful match for me. And we've had our first child, who's now three years old, and we're contemplating another. So that would be seven total <laughs> kids for me. So along that journey, special interests, you know, transformative mindsets, fitness, I've owned gyms, I've I've spoken at paleo effects. I've been in the world of nutrition, performance, number of jobs in hospitals, et cetera, and currently working toward building up a testosterone replacement clinic, which is essentially the stepping stone into performance medicine. So I'm starting very simple because testosterone is the biggest dial I see that I can turn for men initially. And then we get into of course, lifestyle factors, peptides, and other things that can really enhance their experience of themselves. So all of that for the eventual goal of creating a program that enhances the experience of men mm. to be men in the world, which I think is, there's a call for it right now. Yeah, you know, We've had a lot of cultural changes over the years. And, and that's essentially where we are in my life and also compete in jujitsu. I've done a number of other physical pursuits along the way. So father of six jujitsu player who sells transformation to men. <laughs> well, that's what, you know, that's what this conversation really is all about. And for those who are listening, you know, we're, we're not doing a video uh, interview here, but you'll see some reels of Jacob. Jacob, you look way younger than, how old are you? 43 now? 40, 45 in 45. April. Holy smokes. See, I'm not even, I missed, I missed one in there. Um, <laughs> you have this uh, sort of youthful vitality to you. And I think that this even predates your, your TRT days. When you and I met, we were at paleo or one of the paleo conferences, I think it was ancestral health when that was still a thing. You and I were sitting with a group of other doctors and, and I noticed that you just looked down and out. And I think you were in maybe your first couple years as a full-fledged physician. I was still in medical school or maybe you were, had just finished residency. I, I can't really remember. But I remember you and I connecting over just how 
difficult this this whole medical thing was. Like looking back down the the years of training, we were both kind of disillusioned, and and that's kind of what you and I connected on around you know paleo and nutrition and performance. But it was really more of the camaraderie, being two physicians, or me soon to be a full fledged physician, feeling isolated, very very kind of the solitude of not really feeling like anybody sees me for who I am or sees the yeah. system for what it is. So I'm wondering, was your medical training part of what led you to leave the Mormon church? You know, I, I would say it's it's who I am as a core human. And, and this is where the exploration occurs. And I think a big part of other programs that I that I put out there, so I have this mindset training program or, or coaching program that I've run. And a lot of that is with the intention of freedom. And freedom being this core principle of who I am. And I have, a, like I said earlier, like I have this penchant for new experiences. I like the newness. I like to see and explore the world. And growing up in a dogmatic perspective, such as religion, and then finally kind of opening my eyes to it. And that was part of my education as I started studying evolution and, and the ways of the world with nutrition, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then also looking at the medical field as a whole. And there were a lot of parallels to this dogmatic approach. And I really bucked against that because I'm an explorer. And as an explorer, similar to you, you start to look and you're like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I see a better way. And it's a practical better, better way. But there the institution is stuck in the machine of this is how we've always done it. We all agree and we're just going to put our heads down and push. And that's similar to religion. And essentially, like, kind of bring this full circle here, I have a podcast called Escape the Drift. Mm-hmm. And in this principle of life of, of seeking freedom and autonomy and sovereignty of mind and body and practice, the drift is what you get caught in where you just do things the way you're supposed to, the way that everyone has. And so right. medicine, religion, culture, it's all similar to me. And so you and I had that connection because we saw through the, essentially, the the lies of yeah. Conformity. And so it's all it's all connected. Absolutely. It's it's a way that I try to be in the world. And mm. similarly, like how do you raise a family? How do you run your own personal life? You have to look further beyond the lies of of, of the drift. So when you were you were 21 when you had Ethan, every couple of years, then you had Sierra. Walk us through your kids and then um how old were you when Pepper was born? Walk us through the kids, the the latter there. Ethan, he'll be 23 this year. So I was 22 when he was born. And then Sierra was, she'll be 20 this year. So a couple, three years later. And then another three years, we had Adam, who is now 17. And then Gabriel, who's 13. Elijah is 11. And then Pepper, who's three. So I was 41, 42 around there wow. when she was born. So we're talking 20 year difference. Yeah, I think it was, I think 19 is the, he was 19 when she was born. So wow. interestingly, I'm just going to point this out as, as a 22 year old boy having children on the pursuit of a, a pretty challenging career, I was not prepared for children and I was not a great dad. I mean, I was good for a 22 year old dad, but I wasn't a great dad. And at 40, 40 plus, I've never felt so ready and prepared for raising mm. children. Yeah. And considering that I've kept myself in what I'll say is phenomenal physical health, I feel so capable and ready. So not just my demeanor and my energy, but my body, I'm ready to be a parent more than I ever have been. So yeah. having a three-year-old and, and contemplating a, another child, 
this is the time in my life as a developed human and a developed man to lead the charge of, of parenthood and fatherhood. Yeah. Whereas I've kind of missed the boat along the way and learned a lot at the cost of the kids. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's really how you want to, I want to frame it, but. Well, I don't think that there's any way around it. I mean, it's, it's a huge change in your life. Like your whole perspective changes when you're a dad. And if you're also going through medical school, I mean, I was out getting drunk, trying to get laid still in med school <laughs> and, uh, very, very different. <laughs> right. So I would say that, you know, with those, that spread of children, of course I learned along the way and I just get better and better for each of them. And so it's like the younger kids get the, the more developed or refined version of dad compared to my oldest who, who may have, have kind of missed some of that. Yeah. Was there anybody in your life when you had Elijah or uh, Ethan, your first, was there anybody in your life who was a model for you as like, Ooh, this is somebody that I can kind of lean into or that I can watch from afar and kind of figure this, this stuff out. I had a really great dad. So I do have a really great dad and his dad, my grandpa were very close. Like I grew up working with both of them through all of my childhood. So my grandpa owned restaurants that I worked for. I'd sweep the parking lot and then I eventually worked as a cook in the restaurant. And then I'd always work construction with my dad up and even through medical school, I'd come home for summer breaks and we'd build houses together. So I had these wonderful, strong men as leaders to, to model after. And so I got a lot of that training and exposure to them. And they were, of course, Mormon men, but they were they're cool. They're cool guys. They were fun. They were athletic. They were, they were all the good things that you would want in parents. Now, the one thing that they may have lacked was emotional intelligence and communication. So I've developed that myself over the years and kind of struggled and bumped around on how to go about that. But I just had two wonderful role models and I saw their relationship because they worked together until my grandpa died just a few years back at 86 or whatever he was. And, you know, I still, and connected to my dad. We talk regularly. I visit all the time. We talk about business ideas together. So I've had wonderful examples. So I'm, I'm trying to imagine what it's like to be a 22 year old. I was taking a couple notes here for me. You know, I was 30, 32, 33, I think when we had our first and my, you know, my wife had to tell, had to have me, Stephanie, who, you know, um, she had to have me say out loud, you know, things are going to change. Things are going to be different. You know, we just, we found out we were pregnant, I think, shortly after our first trip to Burning Man. And I remember somebody there was like, you know, your kids are just in your orbit. They're just in your life now. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. And this is a person who had like grown kids and they, they were at Burning Man every year. And, you know, you and I, you and I both went to Burning Man this past year, um, although you had a way better time than I did because we tried to bring our kids. And uh, the spirit of like, ah, the curiosity and, and all of this stuff had to be balanced out with the reality of how life was going to change. Fast forward for you, you know, we've got two girls now. You've got perhaps a seventh coming in the future. That 20-year span from Ethan to Pepper, how did your perspective on what was going to, you know, the reality of life after Pepper came? Was there any, like, sort of, uh, you seem to make it so easy. Like, what was it like, like, okay, another baby's coming now. My kids are growing up, and now, bam, we've got a newborn. Was your approach to supporting Amelia um, through pregnancy or childbirth any different? Well, and that's that's a great question, and and more for myself to reflect upon. You know, that's the type of thing that I need to take into deep meditation and just really pick that apart for myself. But on the surface, to answer that question, I'll say 
Amelia is different than Amy. Amy's my first wife in that she requires a different approach. And I wasn't prepared for that with her. So like our pregnancy, I was, again, I was a beginner with this woman and her journey. And so I didn't do it great. You know, there are things that I'm going to do significantly better with the second pregnancy with her, because of course, as we go through life, we learn as yeah. we do and the support of her. And of course I'm, I was better with her than I was with Amy and yet I will be better again. So I would say 20 year span, you know, my own pursuits are different. And I think this is what's really important for men to recognize is that as a 20 something year old, you have a different mind, a different body, a different experience of yourself in the world. And you're, you're an explorer at the highest level at that point. You need to be out in the world experiencing things. And if you're stuck, and I, I don't mean to be negative with that, but if you're tied to raising and being responsible for a little tiny human, that's a complete mismatch of your energy. Whereas at 40, it's like, I've, I've established myself in a career. Yes, I'm still building and growing, but I have that. I don't have that antsy. I have to go out into the world and explore the same that I did 20 years prior. Right. So my attention is able to focus more on my wife and my babies. And it's, it's, that's what I'm talking about where I was more prepared. And so you really got to look at the the true development. It's you're not unique. You're not going to be like, oh, I'm the stoic, you know, old man in a young body at 22. It's like, no, you're not. And if you are, it's, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And not to persuade people not to have kids that young, but to really be aware that that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like what you said, you know, when Stephanie counseled you to, to say things are going to change, you were still at 30 at the tail end of that exploratory energy and perhaps a little antsy still. And she's like, okay, I recognize this in you. And then we're going to have to focus on a shift in energy, a shift in per perspective and focus. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that'd be my insight on a 20 year difference. No, I think it, I mean, I think it, it does a great job of putting language to something that I don't think a lot of people are really putting language to. Um, I think threaded in what you're saying is you have to kind of be gentle with yourself. Like if you're still in that exploratory phase and now you've got a kid on the way, the work for you, whether it's through deep contemplative meditation, whether it's through interpersonal relationship, you know, building with your partner, it could be any of those things. That's going to be the work for you versus, like you said, you're established, you're 40 something, you can actually put a lot more of your resources, your focus, your presence, your, your energy, your time into growing these little kids. And that's just the reality of how it goes. And it, a lot of people will say, I love this phrase. People are like, well, I'm not ready to have kids. And it's like, you're really never ready because even if you're 40 and established, if you guys were to have another child, that would be a giant shift in your relationship dynamics. I mean, we all change through this birthing process. I'm curious, now that you've gone through this six times with two different women and six very, very distinctly different but equally beautiful children, what is a man's role in this pregnancy and birth process or the postpartum process? Well, it's of course very, very diverse. There are so many elements of what your role is. It's not, I can't say there's this one thing because as a man, as a human, you have so many objectives to fulfill yourself. So I would say there are the basic ones like protector, provider, and preparer. Those are three words that I use for being a man. Those are just universal for everyone. Your job as the 
typically larger, stronger person is to protect your family mm. and to be capable of that. And that's in the world of provi providing shelter and food and those things. And that kind of overlaps with the provider component where you have the obligation to ensure that the structure is in place for your for your wife or your woman to be her feminine, which is the the embellisher of yeah. that structure. And so really, if you've got those things on on lock, great, then you can really get into the higher levels of supporter and emotional, you know, rock, essentially. And I say that because in my perspective of the male, female or masculine, feminine energies is that as the man, as the masculine, you're essentially the, the rock that the storm crashes against. And as a woman goes through the changes of pregnancy and the hormone shifts and the challenges of her own, like more dramatic experience of a new child, the storm rages. And if you want to play storm for storm combat, things are awful. You have to be the rock and you have to be that stoic receiver of, or I guess you could say like the one that absorbs or, or yeah. contains the storm. And I know this is a little philosophical, but I think in practical, you can kind of derive your own practices from this. But essentially, as they go through that journey, you're there to be the support, the structure, the the one that protects yeah. external, but also protects internal and, and provides for her experience. And so those are just, you know, a few basic tenets of, of how to be. I would say also really focusing on the shift from the self to the other. And this is where as a younger man, it's really challenging to see beyond yourself and your own in, in interests and desires, et cetera. And so as I get older, I recognize, okay, this is where I sacrifice. This is where I give, and this is where I provide and let go of my ego, let go of my emotional reactivity. And again, be the rock, the stable, sturdy one that allows the storm to, to blow whatever you want to call yeah, it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other benefit to you is that you have for over a decade, I mean, probably two decades, you've been really, really thoughtful about, you know, how you're taking care of yourself. And we're not just talking about reading labels or counting macros or weighing your food or, or whatever, you know, a, a good list of shopping, you know, grocery items and a bad list. Like that's what people kind of, that's like the elementary level. You've actually really dialed this in, which you bring into your practice as well and caring for clients and for yourself and your family. But going beyond that, you know, you've in the past couple years, it's like that stuff is is easy. Let's get into the mind, into the emotional boundary setting. And I think that that actually is not something that we as men are generally incentivized to do early in life. You know, it's as we're trying to figure out what the fuck we're doing here, we tend to let those things kind of live on the periphery while we're dialing in our abs and our shoulders and our back flips and our muscle ups and all of that. But since you have done that work, I assume that that translates into fatherhood because you no longer, like if you're taking care of yourself now, like you've got your oxygen mask on, now you can actually take care of somebody else. The framework that you were, you were sort of alluding to is the I, we, us kind of thing. Like once I've got myself kind of under, you know, dialed in, now I can take care of somebody else. And now that we have things dialed in, we can take care of the community. The community in, in this conversation, I think is the family. 
So if you haven't done that work ahead of time, you've got nine and a half months to really work on connecting to yourself, to your partner, perhaps even to the, the spirit of this baby coming through and what this means in your, in your whole sort of kind of globally in, in how you show up in the world. So I think that that is probably an underappreciated point. If you do nothing else in pregnancy, work on yourself and make sure that you are able to take care of yourself because now there's another there's another person who requires some care and your partner who may have been your emotional crutch for all these years is now going to be divided in their attention not their love but their attention towards this little baby and towards you anything you want to you want to riff on there just kind of curious <laughs> Yeah, so this is actually something that I've done a lot of work on. So you alluded to me shifting from the physical to the more mind slash perhaps spiritual. And that's really, I'm still in the journey of that, of course, and I always will be. But what I've come to to really see as important or as an opportunity is, and a lot of this I've kind of mentioned previously, is that there are ways that a man is that is different than we've explored or talked about in a general mm. conversation. And a lot of these introspective and emotional conversations are are actually presented in in the feminine and get in touch with your feelings and share emotionally in this. And those are all feminine approaches that don't really fit a man. We've been trying to shove ourselves into this, this way of, of accommodating that conversation as men, but it's not quite right. Mm. And so this is where I put a lot of work is like recognizing how men behave. What is the natural order? What is the natural emotional reactivity or what are the roles that a man and his true masculine, and I don't mean like the man bun masculine feminine conversation that's being had, but a more, more masculine, the old school man, there are things to be learned from the evolutionary component of how men behaved. And when you, there's things to look out for the way that that can be abused, but also recognizing how men are. In, in recognizing those roles, like the rock with the storm, like that's a very, as simple as that is when you, when you see that you're like, oh, I get it. And so when you say the I, we, us, the I component isn't like, oh, I need to go to the gym. I need my us, my me time. No, it's like, this is where I emotionally regulate mm -hmm. and take care of my capacity to stand there. Yeah. It's so much more than just like, let me go have me. No, you don't need me time necessarily. In the moment, you need to be the one that can can stand. And yeah. there's so many levels to this that I'm exploring in in masculine energy and decisiveness and leadership, and of course, the physical. You know, this is why I'm pursuing a testosterone replacement thing. Is I think men are lacking in that hormone that drives the mind more than the body. the The testosterone mind of a strong man. Yeah. Is what the women need, the feminine needs that structure, that strength, that rock. And so that's that's the area that I'm currently exploring and then and going to be teasing out in a lot of my future offerings, we'll say. Yeah, I don't use TRT, testosterone replacement, myself. However, many of my friends are using it. And I actually am seeing now a really good application, especially for men in your situation where you do have so many new responsibilities. Let's say that you're in your 40s and you have your first kid. That is a huge strain on your on your, your nervous system. You know, you're you're not sleeping as well. You're also simultaneously with everything else that comes with having a kid, you're also experiencing a precipitous decline in those hormones that are, you know, the the virilizing hormones, these these androgens, the testosterone that give you that vitality 
that made you that explorer, that gave you that drive in your 20s and maybe even in your 30s, you're seeing a precipitous climb. What is it like? I think age 30, 35, you start to see a huge drop. Is that right in testosterone? Yeah, that's traditionally what we've learned. And in my current practice, what I'm seeing is, this is this is really unfortunate, but I'm, I get kids that are, I say kids, they're 25, 26 that are coming to me with testosterone levels that are a third what they could be. Wow. And what is that? I, what, what's happening there? Largely, and, and this is, there's a lot of conjecture here, or at least, you know, assumptions, but environmental exposure, like we aren't living in the pristine wilderness of our ancestors where you wake with the sun and sleep with the sun and you're out walking in the, in the world and fighting and, and preparing yourself. There are all these triggers that externally, environmentally, that produce testosterone mm. or that call for to be prepared. Similar to you go to the gym and you lift weights. Well, the body's like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. So let's prepare, right. let's get bone density, let's get muscle mass, let's get enzymes to process energy. Well, if you're not getting the cues for testosterone or other hormones, there's no reason that your body will meet that need. And so our artificial life, and even if you're going to the gym and you're doing everything, you're still not doing what a man did for millions of years prior. Hmm. So testosterone isn't responding. And so it's an epidemic, unfortunately, and it, whether that's all exposure to, you know, chemicals, plastics, and, you know, the other disruptors of hormones, or if it's, it's artificial light, or if it's soft chairs, it's, yeah. it goes back to the things we've been talking about for 10 years together. And I think this is the manifestation on a hormone level is you're just weak. Comfort is leading to these drops. Why would you need all this testosterone? Life is too comfortable and easy for you. Well, and you're not, you're not chasing women like you were in the, in the early days where it's like, oh, I have to go out in the world and actually find someone. No, you're swiping on a screen, screen or you're looking at yeah. 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 There's no draw for, let me pursue, let me be the dominant male among my peers to, to get the woman. Mm. And so we have this unfortunate cohort of emasculated men and that's environmental, but it's also cultural. And I think there's a, there's going to be a resurgence and I'm going to be a leader in that. And I'm going to be very intentional with how I go about that because there are the other elements where I don't want to create a hyper-aggressive patriarchy. You know, I, I say it with like uh, quotation marks, but essentially there's this old school view of how men are dangerous. Well, we need to erase that, bring strength back in its most responsible and beneficent form. Mm. I think mm. that the this just you know could to come full circle here. It's it's external that has created an unfortunate decline on many, many from from many, many angles. Mm. I guess with that in mind, what one final question. You've got a little girl, Pepper. I mean you've had you have Sarah's only your your only other daughter, right? Your second oldest? Yes. So between, you know, you've got Sierra, she's growing up, she's doing her own thing out in Colorado, I, I presume still. And Pepper is three, same age as my daughter, a couple couple months older. We're both girl dads in that regard, um, although you've got, you've got plenty of boys. But uh, you're raising a little girl, and this little girl is 17 years different from Sierra. What is the role of a man, of a father, let's say, not just a man, but a father who's raising a little girl nowadays in the world? Oh, this is, this is wonderful. And this is so important. Girls need, 
you can't really say one needs a dad more than the other um, by any means, but I would say they need a dad in the home. They need a dad's presence for so many reasons. And I think one of the most important ones is to create the security, first of all, that they know they're safe, that that man is protecting the door from the external threats. And that can be in so many ways, physical and content and cultural. And they feel secure. They feel safe. Mm. Exemplify what a man is to when they go out in the world and pursue a man, they're, they're looking for cues. This one will provide for me. This one will protect me. This one will be the rock that I can crash my storm against and not react and fight me yeah. because I woman, I am feminine. So I want to create that for my daughters. And I think I did okay with Sierra and I've learned so much. And I think Pepper's going to get, you know, 2.0 girl dad and have a more just a much more amazing experience of me so i look at my daughter real quick i want to share this she's got a boyfriend she she lives with him in colorado and he's 19 as well and 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 she she said it a number of times she's like he's just like you hmm. and i want to share this because it's so important to to that example and she, for a few years in high school she was dabbling in like marijuana and kind of like the slacker life and then she met this boy who's quiet, shy. He's an athlete. He's very dedicated to his nutrition and his training. He's actually going into police academy to be a police officer. And that shifted her completely. So she quit all that. She gets up at five in the morning, goes to the gym. They're eating high protein meals. And, and it's like, that was because of the example that I set for her and the pattern that I exemplified. She's like, this one cares and he's dedicated to a pursuit similar to what i pr provided as my example so i will do the same for pepper and we'll do it at a higher level with a lot more of the emotional regulation and the more i guess you could say s settled man because i have my career mm -hmm. and she'll see that example in in its fullest form yeah yeah, it's tough. I feel like it's it's a, an immense responsibility that we as fathers have in raising little girls. And, you know, everybody talks about raising, you know, men ac accordingly, but given the changing landscape of what we're sort of dealing with from social media to the media at large to just the division in the <laughs> and a lot of men being sort of, I don't know, entrained in, in with this notion that they need to not listen to their inner sort of primal instincts about certain things. I mean, there's just so much out there for, for boys. So one of the other um, guys, dads that I brought onto the show, who I, I think you would get along quite well with is Matt, Matt Boudreaux. He has the Acton Academy, Apogee, training young men through a private schooling system on discipline, but remaining sensible. It's that soft belly, strong spine kind of way that we need to show up. I would love to see something like that for little girls because I think our responsibility as men in raising little girls, of course, Stephanie, my wife does 90% of the child raising. It's just the reality of, of how our relationship works. But when I'm there and with them, my role is, is ever more important that I'm present with them and I'm really showing them how a good man shows up in the world. I mean, it, it's as simple as that. And if I don't have that figured out for myself, it's gonna be very, very hard to model that for her. And more importantly, I may be projecting stuff onto her if I haven't been completely secure with my own masculinity and that's going to really play out in very perhaps even nefarious ways for her. So I think this is a, a conversation to be continued for sure. 
Any final comments? I also want people to know where they can find you. So maybe uh, just let her rip for a minute or two and, and we'll end it there. Yeah, I do want to actually touch on that briefly. Please do. Um, I think I just want to say real quick, because you brought up the, the boys school. As a dad, I have boys and girls, obviously. And so I treat them completely different. I am the soft rock of my for my daughters, but I am the rock trainer for my sons. So they get a harsher version of me. And I say harsher, but I just mean more... I don't take their emotional stuff as much as I will the daughter because I want them to be the man and I want the daughters to find the man, if that makes like there's yeah. a distinction here. And so they don't get treated the same. The daughters get a different version of me. They get a different, I, I accept things differently than I accept them from the boys. Hmm. And that's the distinction. And that, of course, that's a long conversation. So, all right, that aside. Dr. Jacob Egbert, that's where I am found on social media, both Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. That's my personal account. And then I have my TRT, which is currently just a Utah-based um, clinic, and it's at Primal Mountain Medical. So there's that one. I also have a mindset training program, which is your human experience. But on Instagram, for example, it's at your human X. And then a podcast, which I am, I'm really proud of, and it's actually evolving into a more masculine approach to escaping the drift. So the title is Escape the Drift. And that, of course, focuses on mindset freedom yeah, and a lot of other factors. So that's what I'm up to these days. Well, hopefully people will find you, Jacob. Thank you for spending some time with me early on mountain time here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I appreciate the time, Nathan. Thank you for tuning into this episode. You'll find conversations like this in my Born Free Method course. I found as a young father that I did not have a lot of great resources or role models. And in order to guide me into parenthood, into fatherhood, I have sought out some of the masters who are still practicing and trying to become better. And my guest today is just another one of these incredible stellar men out there. You can find all of his information in the podcast description. But if you want to, or if you haven't yet found the Born Free Method, you might be listening to this and you're already in the course. I hope you're enjoying the journey. But if you um, want to find more information about the Born Free Method, go to bornfreemethod.com. For the price of admission, you're not going to get just coping exercises for surges in childbirth, right? That's what most childbirth education um, courses cover. How to advocate, how to write a birth plan, how to cope with, you know, how to use a rebozo, how to cope with the, the, the painful surges. That's about 120th of what you're going to find in the Born Free Method. You're also going to get the history of obstetrics and, and midwifery. You're going to get some exercises to work on radical responsibility and owning your decisions and the outcomes of those decisions. Every aspect of lifestyle and functional medicine that I bring into my practice, you're going to get the detailed rundown of how to start implementing these things in your life now, whether you're hoping to get pregnant, you already are pregnant, or you have an in the postpartum experience. You're going to get insights into what it, the role is for a father in childbirth, what a father is at all, which you got a little insights, a little insight here from this interview. And you're going to get all of the other stuff, all of the typical stuff you'd expect to find in a pregnancy and postpartum preparation course. 
But we're going to go deeper because I'm a medical scientist. I have read the literature through and through. I've gone straight to the authors and asked them for clarification. You're going to get risks, benefits, and alternatives for every intervention that you could possibly imagine in childbirth, including Rogam, vitamin K, GBS screening and antibiotics, induction of labor, ultrasound, the perils of ultrasound, which nobody really talks about, C-section, breech birth. I mean, it's literally prior history of prior C-section and trial labor after C-section hoping for a V-back. You're going to get so much. I, my, my co-pilot, Sarah and I, Sarah's a, uh, Sarah Roster is a CPM. She's a farm midwife down at Ina May's Legacy down in Summertown, Tennessee. We have put everything that we've ever been asked, almost everything, it's hard to say everything, but almost everything into one course. And in addition to access to the course and a vault of other resources, discounts on a variety of products, so many collaborations with other practitioners that made this course possible, you're going to get 12 months from the time you purchase, 12 months of weekly mastermind calls with either me or Sarah. So go to bornfreemethod.com, take advantage of (laughs) this little olive branch to become part of the true revolution that we're hoping and that we've already manifested in our heart, but we're hoping to see happen in this 3D world for the betterment of society through the improvement of maternity care. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Nathan Riley. If you want to find out more about me specifically, go to belovedholistics.com. I still take private uh, private clients. I still attend home births. I still provide comprehensive pregnancy and postpartum support, but having this course available is going to let me do more of that one-on-one with clients <laughs> because I can shift them over to the course and they're going to have most of their, their, their questions answered. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Holistic Obituary Podcast. Take care.